The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, hello. Welcome to 30 and a Bit. My name is Pete, and each episode, I try to solve one of the questions you run into after hitting the big 3-0 together with an expert. I did this podcast for a few seasons in Dutch, where it came in the top 5% most shared podcasts worldwide. That's when I realized we talk about issues not only I run into, but many can identify. So here we are, bringing it to a bigger audience in English. Today's question is, how can I overcome anxiety and panic attacks? This week's expert is an absolute expert on anxiety and panic attacks. She has been living through them since she was very young and she didn't understand what it, what it was. Um, since then, she's explored a lot on the subject. And today she will take you through what anxiety and panic attacks and disorders are and what works best for her when she is noticing that her anxiety is very high or she's feeling a panic attack come up. She's taking us by the hand and telling us what works for her. Um, there are so many useful tips in this episode. Also, when you don't suffer from anxiety or panic attacks, but you get nervous before a meeting, for example, there's a lot of tips on how to control those feelings and work through them and make them work for you. I'm super excited. Let's jump in. The facts and figures of today are from the US. General anxiety disorder affects 6.8 million adults or 3.1% of the US population, but less than half is receiving treatment. Nearly one half of those diagnosed with depression are also diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Panic disorder affects 6 million adults or 2.7% of the US population. Women are twice as likely to be affected than men. Social anxiety disorder is common among men and women and typically begins around age 13. It affects 15 million adults. Today's lovely expert is Kelsey Dara. She is a mental health advocate with over 250 million views on her anxiety videos and wrote a great book called Don't Fucking Panic. She used to work for BuzzFeed and E! and is now working on a documentary, so keep an eye on her socials to hear when this premieres. Kelsey is 32 years old and lives in Los Angeles with her dog, Hippo. She's single, sorta, which she tells you more about in her fantastic podcast, Confidently Insecure. Welcome. Yeah, thanks so much for the gorgeous intro. <laughs> the single, sorta, people are going to have to listen to your podcast to figure out exactly what's behind <laughs> that, which I highly recommend. Yes. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Happy, happy to talk all about my liberal lifestyle and promote the good word. We were at a wedding together in December, but we didn't actually get to meet. We met a couple weeks later, <laughs> which was such a shame. Um, so we've been on online calls for a couple times now, but this is we've we were in the same space and we had spotted each other, but no one figured, hey, these two are both podcasters. Maybe we should introduce them. <laughs> 
Your our auras found a way to make it work. Our energy saw recognized energy, and we're like, we'll get there. We'll That's find true. each other. And look at us. Here That's true. Two weeks later, we got there, which is so good. Um, and we were meant to talk last week, but you tested positive for COVID. And my, my first, first one, your first one, my first reaction was not, are you okay? Or how ill are you? It was, how the hell have you been avoiding COVID for nearly three years <laughs> at this point? I am, I am such a like careful person with what I do. I have to get tested regularly and I don't really go out much. So I really don't like see people and I feel like that was the way I avoided it I really I'm gonna be honest I truly thought I just was like better than everyone I thought I had like god blood and then the universe was like no bitch humble yourself there you go just human I'm happy we established that after three years <laughs> oh man I even got it after the wedding we attended so I don't know oh like, really yeah oh my god yeah third time yeah. you wrote a book about anxiety disorder panic attack and depression and today we're going to talk about two of those sections anxiety and panic attacks but my first question to all of my experts is how are your 30s going so far Ah, uh, i cannot recommend it enough <laughs> i Everything they say about your 30s is true. You're more established in who you are. You're making more money. You know your body better. You let go of the bullshit. I I always in my teens was like, I think if I die before 30, I, I'll be cool with that. Because what's after 30? I'm so glad I was so wrong. I could not have been more wrong. I couldn't wait to turn 30. I started telling people I was 30 when I was still like 28. <laughs> I was just ready to be in my 30s. And it's as good as everyone says it is. Oh, that's amazing. So it lived up to the expectations. And more. And wow. more. That's yeah. an interesting answer. I feel like a lot of people are finding the 30s pretty difficult. But um, <gasps> I'm very happy you're so positive. I mean, we did go through a global pandemic. I got sober and went through a breakup in my 30s. So I feel like I have a lot to be nervous about. But I think I, I've been through enough therapy that I got all that out of the way and, and was like really prepared for the trauma that came my way. <laughs> I love it. Hard, worked hard on yourself. And that's making you your go. day-to-day now easier and very fun. Yes. That's amazing. Um, let's start off with anxiety. Can you tell us what the difference is between stress and anxiety? Because I feel like they're getting mixed up a lot. Yeah. I feel like when people are very stressed, they think they're anxious or they say they're anxious. But what is the actual difference? So anxiety and stress often get put in the same bucket. But what I want to differentiate from is anxiety that is normal and healthy from anxiety disorder. So I'm not a doctor, but I might as well be. Um, but you can find all of this out on the internet or from a therapist or even in my book, but a healthy amount of anxiety is something that everybody has. Often people say, I don't want my anxiety. I wish I could get rid of it or how to get rid of your anxiety run from those people. Cause there's no such thing as getting rid of anxiety. There's a reason why we experience anxiety all the way back in the caveman days. We needed anxiety to survive. We needed that flight or fight response that our brains created, our nervous systems created in order to survive. If a bear or a saber-toothed tiger was running our way, we needed to feel a little anxious to 
continue to survive as a species. As society developed, as we as humans developed, we still use those survival mechanisms. If there is danger coming our way, if we have a perceived threat, whether it's real or not, that is a healthy amount of anxiety. Maybe you're about to be put into a situation you've never been in before. You're about to go on a first date. We often use the words like, you know, there's butterflies in my tummies or my hands were sweating. I felt really nervous. That is a good, healthy amount of anxiety where you want to get your, you know, little antennas uh, up a little higher where your alarm bells are ringing a little bit more is if we find that anxiety to be disruptive in your daily life. You find it to be popping up out of situations that maybe you didn't used to or more often or out of a scenario that you notice other people don't seem to be having the same amount of disruptive anxiety. And that's when we want to start looking at perhaps an anxiety disorder. So the same way we as, you know, people kind of throw words out there like, oh, my OCD or my ADD, that was, oh gosh, that was so OCD of me. A lot of people often say, oh my God, I'm going to have a panic attack or, oh my God, I'm having anxiety. And we kind of have lessened the meaning of the word, but the feelings are still very much real and different than anxiety that is healthy and stress that is healthy and anxiety disorder. What happens in your body? What do you feel when you're um, starting to get very anxious? So again, anxiety disorder also is a bit different from panic attacks, which we will touch on, but anxiety disorder tends to live in the mind. So racing thoughts, repetitive loops, um, negative thinking, your inner critic is really loud. You start thinking of scenario scenarios in a unhealthy negative way. Your brain is trying to protect it, but we don't have that relationship to our brain in those moments that goes, ah, I see what you're trying to do. Let me neutralize and reverse. We just play into it. We start to spiral with it. So often daydreaming or disassociation or feeling like you can't outthink your own thoughts. Maybe your brain is is racing faster than you feel like you can even explain. Um, it's a it's a version of stress that starts to make you um, feel unsafe in a lot of situations that maybe the stakes aren't as high as we're perceiving them to be. What happens in our brain when you have anxiety disorder? I love these questions because for me, understanding the like actual science behind something helps me break it down in a more practical way. I'm like a very visual person. I'm like, can you draw a diagram for me? Like if I can see it, I can understand it better. So I really do like the analogy of the saber tooth tiger coming at you. So maybe you're walking down the sidewalk and you don't see any cars, but your brain starts to send signals and patterns of protection of what if a lot of what ifs are coming up. What if a car comes out of nowhere? What if all of a sudden a pothole just forms beneath me and I fall to the ground? You start thinking of a lot of scenarios where we're getting what we think is um, a threat and our cortisol spikes, our, um, our physical reactions start to pick up on senses. Or again, like our hands might start sweating, our, our inability to talk, our breathing might get faster, our heartbeat might go a little bit harder. 
we start to have all these physical reactions as if something dangerous is right in front of us, even if we can't see it. It's a lot of prediction or false memories. Um, and again, it's very intrusive and annoying, but an easy way to reframe it is your brain's just trying to protect you. And that also helps me to see it as, oh, okay, I see what it's trying to do, but the wires are getting crossed. Let me show you how this scenario is actually very safe instead of so scary. So with those what if scenarios, you're truly spiraling and getting worse and worse and worse. And is there a moment where you now or people that have this disorder can catch themselves and break that loop? Absolutely. Which is like the best news of all time, because I think with anxiety disorder, we think, oh, am I going to be this way forever? Will I ever feel better? Will I ever feel different? Will I ever not be this way? For me, I can remember a very specific time in my life where I didn't think this way and it became more habitual. So the good news is, is absolutely we are able to break the cycle of anxiety disorder for a long time the medical field wanted us to believe that it was a chemical imbalance and that you were either just born this way or you weren't and you either had to be on medication or you didn't. But what they're finding is that it is so much more of a biopsychosocial experience of anxiety. It can be environmental, what's going on around you physically. It can be biological. Maybe there is something in family history. Maybe you are more prone hormonally to something than other people. Maybe you are more sensitive and socially. So how are other people around you acting? What is normal within your uh, social groups? There is so much more about anxiety disorder that we are finding out that is breakable and shapeable. So for me, a fantastic tool that I always say throughout my day and in the book is that you are not your thoughts. That is almost the most basic, bare minimum experience of breaking anxiety disorder loops is remembering that we are not as attached to what's going on upstairs here in the brain than we think we are. I wrote that one down. You are not your thoughts. I think that is so powerful. And even for people that don't have uh, the panic disorder, it is just in your day-to-day -day life, remembering that is so important. You are not your thoughts. Yeah. I always say first thought, worst thought. Yes. First thought is worst thought. But what's my second thought? Because I know what my first thought's going to be. And it's really easy to attach an identity and an emotion and a feeling to that. Well, I have this, this, my boss put a meeting on my calendar. It must be because I'm in trouble. It must be because I'm getting fired. It must be because I did something wrong. That's my first thought. So I always go, okay, I'm prepped for the first thought to be the worst thought. But then let me actually test my, my thoughts. Let me test my theories. Let me get curious. Let me challenge myself a little bit instead of so easily identifying with the first thing that my, my brain just puts in my head. Because if, if I went with everything that was first thought, you know, I would just be perpetuating a cycle of worse thoughts. <laughs> and I think with the first thoughts as well, um, correcting it for your second thought is also a case of like you were raised a certain way with certain thoughts that you as an adult maybe don't identify with anymore. I notice this a lot in my life. I catch myself I'm like, wait, that's not actually how I feel about this situation or this person. Just even acknowledging it and being able to recognize it and go, wait a minute, I might be able to be a third party to my own experience is 
milestones ahead of what most people in their lifetime get to do. So good on you, girl. Definitely. That's why therapy is very, very important, people. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In your book, you talk about a lot of different kinds of anxiety. So there's hangover anxiety. I feel like I know that one. Work anxiety, (laughs) grocery anxiety, and even news anxiety. And I quit reading the news after dinner a couple years ago. (laughs) Best decision ever. And social anxiety. Social anxiety is a long-term and overwhelming fear of social situations. Um, And I feel like this kind of matches maybe with our generation, but what can we do Mm. about it? Social anxiety specifically? Yeah. Oh, I love this one because we give labels to people that are so finite, right? We go, you're an introvert. Or you're an extrovert and you're either a social person or you're not. And you couldn't possibly have anxiety if you're the center of attention. If you're someone who performs for a living or talks to people for a living, there's no way you get anxiety. You write about this in your book. You get to you hear this all the time. All the time. I'm not allowed to have anxiety because I'm an outgoing person who's in the entertainment business for a living. I literally do this to myself. How could I possibly have social anxiety when I talk to people for a living? So we have these ideas of people and it's either you're this or that. And it's very black and white thinking. And of course, what we're starting to talk more about is that people are so much more multifaceted, so much more complex than we maybe give um, that grace to. So I think for me, it's about remembering that there are so many more um, versions of people than what I first meet when I first meet them. So There's something that a lot of people call themselves now, which is an ambivert, which is that they're outgoing when they're around people, they feel energized, but then afterwards, the way that they recharge is actually by being alone, by going inward. So it's like, huh, okay, that's interesting because I started to identify with that. I'm very outgoing and loud and happy and social when I want to be, but then I need to be alone in order to do that again. Figure out how you like to socialize with people. Maybe, you know, for some people it's at a dog park, right? Like there's something to focus on. There's an inherent conversation starter right there. And you could walk away at any time. (laughs) Don't put yourself in a box. Dinner parties, cocktail parties, social networking, like networking events. I always say that we just jump right into the deep end. So like, let's wade into the water a little bit. And that's my recommendation for people with social anxiety. (laughs) That's a really good one. And what about people that feel ashamed about their anxiety? Yeah, I think now more than ever, like literally every single day, we are getting better as a society about talking about it. And this is where I like to tell people like the internet is your best friend because you can come into a space anonymously if you want with a anonymous avatar username. And you can go to so many resources online to see how you don't have to feel alone or have to feel shameful about it. And I'm not going to lie. It's, it, it does feel shameful the first time you're out and proud about it. I was terrified. I was terrified to sort of come out as having an anxiety disorder. I came out as bisexual and queer before I talked about my anxiety (laughs) disorder publicly because I was afraid of what people would think about me. The second you acknowledge it and the second you share about it and find your safe spaces, the less shameful you are going to feel because there is so much community in the mental health system. There is so many 
uh, group spaces, Facebook chat rooms, Reddit threads, Twitter spaces. There are so many places where you can, again, wade into that water. You don't need to jump into the deep end. And also use your the people around you that you trust, because I guarantee you more people experience it than you realize. And probably the people yeah. that are close to you that you would like to share it with maybe have already kind of felt something about you as well. It's probably not the biggest surprise. No, I think if, you know, especially if you have someone in in your life that is understanding of mental health disorders or just of mental health in general, I think the you'll you'll realize there's more people in your life than um you realize if your partner has anxiety disorder or your parent your brother sister how can you support them best ah i love this question because if there was just like one answer that applied to everyone you know we would all have better relationships everyone is different right like some people who might you know, like me, I like to think I'm a veteran in this world. I can very clearly and easily tell a partner what my, what my, my list is. You know, I've literally written a list before of like, here's things you can do to help me when I am experiencing this. Or like, you know, they always say like, you know me better than I know myself. Maybe they've, they've gotten to know me to a, an intimacy that they can even say like, Hey, what, what if we like took a pause and took a deep breath right now? Or like, you know, a partner that I'm with right now knows that I really like physical touch when having a hard conversation. So if we know we're going to have a tough conversation or if he recognizes that I'm maybe in my head a little bit, he'll kind of like scoop me to sit facing him and we'll like touch thighs or like, you know, hug each other and like really take a nice deep cleansing breath together. And he'll be like, Ooh, where do you feel that in your body? And I'm like, Oh bitch, I fucking am obsessed with you. Like he just knows these little tools to help me, um, expel that, unwanted energy or anxiety. So that's for me personally. Some people want to get the fuck away from other people when they're experiencing anxiety. They're like, don't touch me. Don't come near me. I actually need to go retreat inward. I need space and I will let you know when I want to come back. That is an ex-partner of mine that I had where I couldn't possibly understand that because I am like, we will solve this right here in this room. How can I help? You know, it's (laughs) It's different for everyone, but I think just even having the conversation about it, getting curious about it, offering solutions about it is going to be the first step in figuring out sort of what your cocktail is. You also have an amazing list of things that you can try in your book that you can try when you feel anxiety coming up. So maybe it's even an idea to write these down with your partner and be like, next time when you see me. Yes. When you see my anxiety rising, let's try this next time, like tapping on your uh, chest or like remind me to try that. And then together we can figure out what works best. Pete, if you don't think I fucking love a shared note in your notes app. Oh my God. Everyone right now should open up their notes app, pause this podcast, go into your shared notes, share with your partner, your best friend, your sister, your mom, your dog, I don't care, and label it as your toolkit. Give yourself each a little section, write about when you're feeling tired, when you're feeling hungry, when you're angry, when you're horny, when you're anxious, when you're panicking. I want you to write every scenario that you can imagine that you would want your partner involved in and start writing out things for each other. And it's like a fun little thing to check in on with your partner to make it kind of gamified, to make it an activity. Ah, I love a shared note. You mentioned 
um, being in a relationship earlier and how to deal with that with partners, you're newly single. Um, and I think mm -hmm. dating with panic, with um, anxiety disorder is very difficult as well. And I would love to learn how to deal with that from both sides of the coin. Like if you're the person with um, anxiety disorder or when you're the, per the partner dating someone with anxiety disorder. You know, I thought I was the most fucked up person on the planet. <laughs> I thought there's no one like me. I'm fucking crazy. My thoughts are no one's ever had these thoughts. I am unique in this experience. No one's ever going to understand me. And I could not have been more wrong from meeting people who had completely identical experiences, thoughts, behavior patterns, fears, anxious anxieties to people who actually had more severe and unmanageable mental health disorders that were way more intense, way more time consuming that I didn't know was at that level. I've been on both sides where I've had someone confess to me something about their mental health journey that I had to check myself and go, oh shit, I'm being a little judgmental right now. I'm noticing a fear thought pop up of like, well, there can't be two of us that are fucked up in this relationship. <laughs> no way. And the truth is, Pete, everyone has their shit. Everyone comes with baggage. Everyone has an experience of trial, trauma, tribulations in their life. And it's about what we do with that information, right? So even I, mental health queen, mental health advocate galore, have experienced those feelings of like, can I handle this? Can I, quote, deal quote with someone that lives this way or their mind works that way and here's the thing is that nobody is entire identity is attached to their mental health disorder right like I am not who I am at my worst or what I perceive to be my worst feelings all the time if someone is exciting you because of the way that they you know talk about their passions or experience life is it worth sticking around to figure out that they aren't their entire identity is not their mental health disorder um and if you're not on that path in your in your own mental health journey where you feel like you can be that support system from somewhere else like good on you like that's even better recognition you're only setting yourself up for better success to know like what you are and aren't capable of holding space for now if you like the person a lot and you want to figure it out you can just say that. You can say, hey, I don't really have experience with this. I don't really know a lot about it, but I really like you. And if that's something that comes along with like a chapter in your book, I'm like down to read it. Um, and understanding too that nobody's perfect and nobody's got it all figured out. Let's go to panic attacks. What are panic attacks Ooh. exactly? What happens in our brain? Great. So I love this one because it's similar to differentiating anxiety from anxiety disorder and differentiating anxiety attacks from panic attacks. And we often conflate the two, but the biggest indication of like the difference between an anxiety attack and a panic attack is panic attacks are much more physical in the body and panic attacks are a subset of anxiety disorder. So you can have anxiety without ever having a panic attack, but you often don't have a panic attack without having an anxiety disorder. So panic attack is the, um, the physical nature of, 
um, your body's response in fight or flight. And there's these other two words that have been added to the fight or flight response, which is freeze and fawn. So fight, as you can imagine, your, um, your adrenaline spikes, your heart starts to beat faster because it's prepping you for running for, for a fight for energy. You start sweating. You, maybe you feel like you're having a heart attack. You can't breathe. You can't swallow. You feel like you're choking. Maybe you feel like you're going to throw up. You're getting ready to fight. There's the flight, which used to be my specialty, which was I needed to get away from wherever I was experiencing that feeling. I felt like I was going to throw up. I need to get out of this room because then I won't feel like I need to throw up. I'm on a plane. As soon as I get off this plane, I'm going to stop freaking out. So I was a flight girl. I was a remove me from whatever my perceived stimulus of this bodily reaction is. Then there is freeze. So often your brain feels stuck. You can't speak. Some people get paralysis. You can't move. Your hands literally become tingly to the point of you can't feel like you lift your muscles up. Your body goes in sort of a shutdown freeze response. And then there is fawn, which is I'm feeling threatened. I'm obviously feeling attacked. I'm going to collapse into a outside stimulus's perceived attack and do whatever is necessary. I'm going to say yes to certain things. I'm going to be, I'm going to say, okay, whatever I can to make the situation more neutralized. I'm going to people, please. I'm going to exist within someone else's control. I'm going to fawn. So you've got flight, freeze, fight, fawn. And those are typically bodily physical reactions to um, an anxiety disorder that is coming up as panic attack. And another thing is that people with anxiety attacks feel like they can identify the stimulus of the anxiety. So I have a meeting coming up. I know that I'm going to feel anxious. You start to get more anxious towards as the time is coming up. Panic attacks, the phrase I hear the most often is, it felt like it came out of nowhere. I was perfectly fine. I was just existing. And then boom, I felt like I couldn't breathe. I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought I was going blind. Like there were so many times where people think it just came out of nowhere. But what we're finding with panic disorder is it always has a root cause, whether it's something that's subconscious based in trauma, maybe from your childhood, maybe from a triggering moment in your life that you didn't even recognize was happening. Um, maybe it's built up stress that your body has decided right now is a good time to release this energy <laughs> or deal with it. Um, I talk about this in the book, but one of my like most laughable episodes of sex in the city is when Miranda thinks she's having a heart attack. So she goes to the emergency room, which is often what happens when people have their first panic attack is they take themselves to an emergency room and they go, Oh, I was just having a panic attack. That was crazy. They gave me some volume and I left and that was it. We never, we never revisit it. We never go back to the source, to the cause. We just are like, okay, that happened. And then it never happened again which is totally plausible. Some people have one panic attack. They go, what the fuck was that? And then they just move on. Majority of people who have panic attacks then become 
fearful of having a panic attack again. So often with panic disorder, it can be self-perpetuating where you become panicky about panicking. So that's when we got to start to worry about panic disorder. So there's anxiety, anxiety disorder, anxiety attacks, panic attacks, and panic disorder. And panic disorder is then once we've gone past having one panic attack, maybe now you're in two, maybe you're in 20. Now you're panicking about the panic disorder. And that's when we got to start to look at the, the physical nature of a panic attack and figure out how to break those patterns. You have little woes, uh, words of wisdoms in your book, little blurbs. <laughs> and what the one that I really liked is the anxiety anticipation is worse than the thing itself. I say that every day of my life. <laughs> I used the shit in my own book. I swear to God, I didn't just like make this up. I said that I think yesterday was like I had something coming up and I was like, God, I'm so nervous about this thing. And then I said, the anxious anticipation is always worse than the thing <laughs> itself. And it's true. It, it 99 times out of 100, it is true. The, the thoughts and the anticipation is worse than the actual thing itself. When you feel a panic attack come up, what can you do to stop it from completely exploding? So again, going to be different for everyone. But for me, I often feel that feeling of it comes out of nowhere. So I could be driving, I could be in the grocery store, and it's almost like a burst of something inside me that changes. Like I'll feel a burst and maybe it's like my breath gets really shortened for a second. I deal with depersonalization and dissociation. So for like a second, my body will kind of like check out and I'll kind of come to for a quick second like in a grocery store or during a conversation and it used to scare the shit out of me because I'd go what the fuck was that and then because I'm spiraling into the thought of it and becoming panicky about the panic attack that's when I would get the throw up feeling that's when my hands would start to sweat that's when I'd feel the need to to shake and release energy I need to get the fuck out of here now, because I am a professional panic attack person, <laughs> PPP, um, I can recognize that feeling. Like yesterday, I was in the grocery store and I was reaching up for something and I felt that blip, sort of that explosion internally. And I went, whoa, what the fuck? What the fuck was that? And I went, ah, okay, let me go through my checklist. I just got out of a hot yoga class where I felt really dizzy and like I didn't drink enough water. Maybe I'm dehydrated. Then I went, oh, hey, this could be a panic attack. You know, I've had a thousand of these before. It's never killed me. No one in the history of the world has ever died from a panic attack ever. And I know that this will pass. The feeling is really fucking scary right now. I hate it. It never gets easier. It never feels uh, less intense, but I know what it is now. I recognize it. And I know a hundred times out of a hundred factually, scientifically for every single person, this panic attack will not last forever. I think with panic attacks, people are afraid that it's going to come and you're going to be that way forever, but it is never historically, scientifically, factually ever happened that way for anyone. You can 
It can last what feels like 20 minutes really intensely. It can feel like it's lasting for hours. Sometimes for days after a panic attack, I'm walking on eggshells. I'm reverting back to that feeling because I'm nervous about it. And I feel dizzy, a little out of it for a couple of days, but it will not last forever. So now when I feel something coming on, I invite it in like an old friend. I go, oh, hey, girl, come on, sit down. Let me take care of you. Let me, let me treat myself the way that I would treat a scared little girl. I, I envision the younger version of myself. I literally see her with her crazy hair with big calyx. I often have like some shit on my face because I was playing outside. I know the outfit that I see myself in and I see her really scared and I go, oh, baby, come here. Come here, girl. Like, let me hug you. Let me hold you. Let me sit down with you. Where does it feel scary? Where in your body are you thinking about it? What are you, what's going through your mind right now? Like I invite it in and I sort of treat it as this third thing, which took me a very long time to do. And I hate to say that practice makes perfect with panic attacks, but the more you lean into the idea of being okay with it, the easier it will become. It becomes more recognizable. It becomes more manageable. You go, huh, let me look through my tool belt. Do I need the hammer today? No, I don't need the hammer. Okay, do I need the wrench today? Maybe not. Maybe a little bit of wrench, but I'm ultimately going to need the drill. Like you've got this awareness now to say which thing is going to be good for me, right? With breath and panicking, breath is so important because people often say they feel like they can't breathe. They feel like they're trying to always catch their breath. And what our body is actually doing, because we feel like we're choking, we feel like we can't breathe. We feel like all of these things. So we're trying to inhale more air. (gasps) I can't breathe. I'm choking. (gasps) I feel claustrophobic. But then what we're actually doing is we're over oxygenating. Your body's going, why are we taking in all these breaths? I better fucking, I better speed up my heart. I better, I better go into, into fight mode because something must be coming. So even though it feels absolutely chaotic to do in the moment of a panic attack, what we really need to do is slow down our breath. Even if we feel like we're choking, even if we feel like our heart's about to stop because we can't breathe, we want to breathe bring it all down, bring everything, control that central nervous system, go into parasympathetic mode. We do not need to be alarm bells. We do want to bring everything down. So even though I fucking hate breath work, even though I fucking hate thinking about my breathing, once I leaned into it and went, all right, you motherfucker, let's fucking, let's do it together. Let me become friends with my breathing. Panic attacks became night and day different. But when you're in supermarket and it happens to you, do you run to the car and go do your breath work? Like what, what do people do when it happens in, uh, in public spaces? That's often what a panic attack is also fear of is it's happening in public. If you have a panic attack at home, who cares? Take a Xanax and pass the fuck out. Right. (laughs) It's often because people are terrified of it happening in public. And I used to be that person. I used to be the person who went, I need to excuse myself. I need to go to a bathroom. I need to run out into the parking lot. I need to go sit in my car. I need to get away because I'm terrified of someone seeing me like this. Now I can in my own mind and body recognize it. You could be talking to me. We could be having a conversation and a panic attack might start to pop up for me. And the first thing I do is I go up. There it is. I recognize it. And the first thing I do is I, I, 
scrunch my toes up in my shoes and I start to feel the ground and I go, let me get grounded because I know with my panic attacks, my soul tries to leave my body. My, my mind literally tries to jump out of its own existence and, and, and disappear and die. So the first thing is I'm going to do is I'm going to ground in. I'm actually going to go, okay, hey, panic attack, what's up? Let me feel the weight of my body on the ground. Next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do an internal body scan. I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to start from the top of my head and I'm going to just scan like I'm doing an x-ray of myself. I might go, hey, Pete, can you give me one second? I've got to go to the restroom. BRB. And I'll go in and I'll, I'll lift up my sleeves and I'll turn on cold water and I'll hit some cold water to my vagus nerve. Vagus nerve is something anyone with panic attacks needs to become friends with. Your vagus nerve is that thing that's controlling that parasit, that sympathetic nervous system. And you're going to hit it with cold water. You're going to ground yourself. Just on your wrist. Shock your system. Yeah. On your wrist. Some people like to do it on their face, back of the neck. Cold exposure often helps people jump into a cold shower. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to look at myself in the mirror and I'm going to start telling myself facts about me. I'm going to go, you're Kelsey Dara. You are 32 years old. You're in Los Angeles. You're in the grocery store right now. And you're feeling like you're having a little bit of a panic attack. And that's okay. I'm going to go to my messages of safety, which is something that I've developed over years of having panic attacks. Again, my phrases, it's kind of like mantra work. Um, This too shall pass. I am safe. I am not going crazy. I am not about to have an episode of psychosis. This is all first thoughts, worst thoughts. What if, then what? I love my what if, then what plans. So if what if this happens, then what? What am I going to do? Well, what if I have a panic attack in the middle of the grocery store while I'm talking to you? Then what? Well, if I can give my answer to a then what, often the what if, it doesn't seem so scary. What if I have a panic attack? Well, then I'm going to go to my car. Maybe I can have enough wherewithal to drive home. Maybe I need to call my roommate or my partner or my sister to talk me through this moment. I'm going to have a lot of answers to those what if thoughts. So there is a whole sort of game that I'm able to cycle through when I have that panic attack in public. And for a lot of people, it can be carrying medication with them, carrying your benzodiazepines. A lot of people carry Xanax, Klonopin with them, Valium. Um, having a a bottle of water on you. People feel like even just knowing that those things exist in your worst, 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 last, last case scenario, have a plan. Always having a plan is going to make you feel in more control. And that's ultimately what a panic attack is, is feeling that lack of control. Amazing. That was so useful. I think people can really make a checklist and with tips of, of how to, how to deal with panic attacks um, yeah. The very last question every episode is if you could give the listeners one takeaway from this episode, what would it be? Ooh. Oh, to, to think of one thing that encapsulates all of what I'm uh, feeling. I'm going to give one that I don't normally give uh, because I feel like I've given a lot of really like basic starter tips throughout this episode. So I'm going to give one that if you've made it this far, you're leaning in, you're, you're with us. We're, we're down, we're down the rabbit hole at this point. The thing I'm going to tell you is a phrase that I often like to say, and I talk about in the book too, is to seek discomfort. So much of anxiety, so much of panic is about control and feeling lack of control. So the more you put yourself 
in situations, in scenarios, become less agoraphobic, become less socially anxious, less um, um, panicky of the things you fear, the easier it's going to get. The more exposure and proving to yourself that you can absolutely do it, that you are stronger than you think, that you are more resilient than you might feel in this moment, the better it is going to get. And that is something that I can 100% factually, scientifically prove, say is absolutely true. Amazing. Your book, uh, Don't Fucking Panic, talks about anxiety, panic, and depression. And if you feel like you fall into any of these categories, I would really recommend getting the book and get the paper back because it has a lot of assignments in it and a lot of room to write. So definitely go yeah. get it in a in the paperback version. And as I mentioned at the start, you also have a very funny podcast called Confidently Insecure <laughs> with your friend Zach. Um, I yes. think it's very entertaining. So people should definitely uh, go listen to that as well. <laughs> yeah, we have fun over there. It's not as intense. It's a little bit more comedic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's very funny. And what's your Instagram handle? Oh, you can find me everywhere on the internet at Kelsey Dara. Thank you so much for being here. I had the best time. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Instagram at Google Podcast. And we will be back next week.